I do think more and more sports teams or athletes go to yoga because they see the value of it in many ways, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally, just to get a little bit to know yourself with deeper insight. So today's guest is Andy Wurz. I met Andy in 2017 when I was getting my 200-hour teacher training program with Allison West at Yoga Union Studio. Andy's been doing yoga for over 30 years. We spend a fair amount of time in this episode talking about Iyengar yoga and how helpful props are, rope wall, chairs, bolsters, blocks, and you use those props to really support your body and your alignment and really help you breathe into and strengthen the weak spots in your body. In fact, if you want to see a photo of Andy, if you go to Instagram and look at GTY Podcast on Instagram, you'll see a photo of Andy doing a Warrior Two. And one of the props he's using is not a traditional prop, but he's using resistant bands in his pose. We really get into some great thoughts around bringing awareness into weak and injured spots in your back. Anyhow, thanks for checking in and enjoy the show. Well, Andy, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Looking forward to it. So I mentioned in my intro piece about how I ran into you at Yoga Union Studio, Allison West Studio, which recently closed during COVID, unfortunately, but had been a long time nationally known and probably internationally renowned back care studio. And I know when I started to really have back issues, I was in New York and sought out Yoga Union to sort of try to get a handle on what I was going through. Along the way, I met some great teachers and and you were one of them. So I wanted to reach out and have you join this podcast because I appreciated your style and the structure of classes as well. And I personally appreciate the entire Yoga Union experience that I got there. Oh, thank you. I also would like to thank at this point to all my wonderful teachers that I had in my career as a yoga teacher. And that really, I was lucky to meet so many wonderful people and teachers. But yeah, so I moved to New York when I was 26. I was a physical education teacher in Switzerland and I loved dancing, I loved movement. And so I was introduced to dance in Switzerland and I thought, why shouldn't I try for a year to go to New York and pursue a dance career. And so I came here and uh, started modern dance and I loved it and I stayed. I didn't go back. And as I was doing my dance training here, I had a good friend who was teaching this great movement class and she got into yoga and she started to introduce more and more asanas, yoga exercises into her class. And I was really intrigued and challenged and was new for me and I really liked it. And so I started taking class with her teacher. I started just like once a week and then I could really hook to it and I took almost every day a class. So what was the first official yoga class, if you can remember? Yeah, it's funny. Somebody told me that this guy, Kevin Gardner, is a great teacher and that he teaches Saturday morning. I had no idea that it was an advanced class. And so I just went. And when I arrived at the studio, he said, have you done yoga? And I said, yeah, with my friend. And he said, well, (laughs) 
you have to do level one, two, and three before you can turn my class. And so I said, I took off the Saturday morning. I really want to take the class. And he said, no way. And I don't know, he must have had a weak spot and he let me take the class, which is normally very unusual. And being a dancer, I was very good at copying movements. So that wasn't the problem to follow what he was doing, but I had no idea what I was doing, actually, looking back now. And he kind of ignored me. But at the end of the class, he didn't say anything. Meaning like he's probably not up for this stuff at this level. And I'm just going to let him participate and not get injured. Yeah, I guess he was probably annoyed maybe that he let me get in, (laughs) but he saw that I was doing well. I was following in his instruction. I wasn't a distraction to the class, so he let me be. And at the end of the class, I can't remember, but I think he agreed that I can come back because he must have seen that. But he also told me I should start taking other classes, beginning classes, and which I did. I started taking with other teachers and slowly I got more and more into it. And I got more accepted in that studio. And I was a regular student there. So let me jump in. First of all, what kind of studio and class was it? Because I know that lots of people come from different paths. Some come into Vinyasa flow. But what was this particular studio and class? Well, it was the Anger Institute in New York City, which my friend, you know, introduced me to it. Otherwise, I I wouldn't have known about it. And that was just a coincidence that it was that studio, but I'm happy it was the studio. And the Angar studio is, they have studios all over the world. And Mr. Angar was probably the most famous yoga teacher in the West. And he also wrote kind of the Bible of yoga. Everybody looks at that. He, He illustrated it with his photos, doing all the poses. And he was just like a very dominant figure in the yoga world. And I was very attracted to his style because he is very intelligent. He really breaks asanas apart. And I was very intrigued by it. He uses a rope pole and he uses other props that are very helpful for learn how to do asanas. It was super helpful for me when I was dealing with specific back issues or leg issues to have that kind of support, what would you say makes Iyengar such an effective yoga style for people who are either struggling with injuries or just working within their body? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, first of all, the breaking down of the asana of the pose is very important that he really builds up, like you said, he uses props so that anybody can experience the pose. And he's very individualizing. So in a class, the teacher might interrupt the class and you look at the person and everybody goes and looks and the teacher explains on the person what he or she is doing the right way or how she can improve. And then you go back and you practice that on your own and see how can you support yourself. So in an anger class, you really individualize the poses and you learn what you need in order to support yourself. And I think that's a very unique way. It's not just the flow where the teacher doesn't really correct much or just does kind of superficial corrections. It's a very deep way how to look at people and correct their poses. 
Yeah, that's helpful. So going back to your path, you started to get into Kevin Gardner's classes. You started to get into the Iyengar Institute of New York. Where did you go from there? I stayed with the Iyengar for a long time with the Institute. But then I started to explore some other styles that came up. Some were newer. Yoga was an evolving discipline and it got very popular. When I started, there were not that many studios and now it's almost in every corner. It's like Starbucks can have everywhere a studio. I started like 90, 1990, 1992, something around that. And yeah, at that point, there were a few studios in the city and the Yenga was definitely one of the more popular ones. And, and from there, I started teaching privately. That's how I started. I was also working in a fitness center doing movement. And I slowly converted my people I worked with to yoga. And most of them stayed with me. And then I went private. And that's how I built my practice before I started teaching group classes. And you were teaching at Yoga Union for how long? Probably like five or six years. Yeah. And were you teaching in other studios in the New York area? The one studio I'm teaching that's still open, it's called Samankaya, and it's kind of an offspring of Yoga Union. They used to be together, the two owners, and then they split. And Deborah Walk is now kind of the head of the Samankaya. But we are a yoga co-op, a teacher co-op, which is very unique. And it's been working out. We were able to maintain our studio over the pandemic. So as a teacher and a practitioner, what does your yoga practice look like? How often do you do yoga for yourself? How do you design your home practice? And also, how do you think about designing your classes for your students? I try to do as much as I can yoga. I mean, there's almost no day where I don't do yoga. Sometimes it's longer. Sometimes, you know, it's just a few minutes. But I also try to keep my yoga practice in whatever else I do. Yoga is not just when you do it in a studio. It's like how you carry yourself in life. So what I learn helps me for my daily life, my activities. And I teach almost every day a class. So I try to really build my classes. So I go into my studio and I have an idea what I want to do. And then I start exploring and some days it comes faster. Some days it takes me longer to get a flow and an inspiration. But I was basically never teach the same class. I always have a slight difference depending on the people who take my class too. When I know in advance who takes class, I kind of remember, oh, this person has this problem, this person this. So how can I address that? How can I build up my class so that everybody gets something? And so that's kind of like the process of how I build classes. So interesting when you talk about who's got this problem or who's got that problem. As we were talking offline a little bit, you spend quite a bit amount of time in both two very well-known studios in New York that have focuses on back care issues. So scoliosis, spondylolisthesis, stenosis, herniation, bulging discs, fusions. It's remarkable to see how detailed and focused and curated some of the classes are. And you're not going there for 90 minutes of just hardcore flow. You're going in there to learn how to isolate parts of your body and work on other parts of your body. I think there's a lot of fear when you've had chronic back issues to go into a yoga class and have something 
and hurt it more and not have that control or understanding about where we're going next in this posture. What's been your perspective on how yoga has benefited men and women for dealing with chronic back issues or just backs that need a little bit more length and strength? Yeah, that's a good question. If you find the right student, the right teacher, you shouldn't have a problem going in with any issues like pain, unless it's really chronic. There's certain pains that you probably should just stress. But if you have like back issues and other, like you mentioned, all these different ways of spinal issues, there's many ways you can help people very slowly moving taking the people into a slow, very gentle way of introducing certain asanas. And a lot has to do with traction, creating space in the spine, especially in the spine or in in any joint, and then stabilizing and strengthening the area. And sometimes it can take a while, or you might just do a few exercises, a few poses, a few asanas in the class. But it's really about learning how to re-educate your body and how to be mindful in your daily life. Because if you twist and you hurt your spine, you want to be very mindful next time you twist or how you twist, where you initiate the movement from. So you learn a lot about your body through an injury. And if you go to a good teacher, the teacher can really help you to kind of create the path forward for your healing. So you mentioned traction. I know for some of us listening, that might just sound like they're wincing, thinking they're on a rack, some medieval rack (laughs) being just lengthened by two ends of two chains. What is traction? When you're thinking about helping get length in joints, just help maybe illustrate that for the audience. Well, yeah. I mean, sometimes it can be a kind of like a real lengthening, you know, that on each end of your body, somebody pulls, but it's more like, you know, we use the ropes in the studios I'm teaching. So we do like a down dog suspended from the rope around your hip. And then you go into down dog. So you have that traction coming from the rope. And then you can really relax and lengthen into the spine and create space. Or there's many different ways of creating traction with belts. But mostly we use props to do that, like yoga belts are great. And a lot of times in our class, the teacher comes and helps you to create traction, maybe pulls you in a gentle way. So there's a lot of hands-on in our teaching. And most people appreciate a gentle kind of tactile stimulus to feel where to lengthen or how to lengthen. Have you seen many examples in students that you've worked with over time where people make real strides and gains in not only improving their alignment, but particularly with back issues? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, there's so many testimonies that I was reading about Yoga Union and Samankaya that some people say it saved my life. I could barely walk or was bent over. And then as I was practicing with in these studios, I learned a lot. My posture improved, my whole awareness. Let's say in a scoliosis class, if you do one side a certain way, the other side, when you switch to the other side, you do it completely different because you learn how to not go into your patterns, but to work against your patterns. Yeah. I didn't have 
official scoliosis. I had some little curvature in my spine. A lot of that was due to injuries on one side or the other, like a super tight psoas or QL on one side, or maybe you had some multifidi or some muscles up your spine into your shoulders that were tight that were causing your shoulder to be off. And what I found is that the more I worked on mobility and stability in my spine and my rib cage, whatever functional scoliosis was there disappeared. Right. And the more that you're able to get into those deeper parts of your back, and it definitely takes time. It's not that the muscle's loosening up. It's more like your brain is connecting to that muscle and says, we know how to start learning how to contract you and move you. And over time, that just becomes easier and easier. The tension's gone starts to leave. And pretty soon you've got this deeper, more subtle ability to intuit, but also engage those muscles that you really never even realized you were missing out on. Having chairs and having rope walls and having props to put you in a position for an extended moment of time, and you're not fighting it, you're sort of breathing into that asana, that posture, it totally works. I'm glad you mentioned that. It's not just always traction and lengthening and pulling. Sometimes people have just to learn to relax. And you could do that just lying on your back with your feet up on a chair and just breathing into your tight muscles and learning how to let go. Because a lot of times people don't know, I mean, included sometimes, what it actually means to let go. And it's a deep experience. It's not just the muscles and the bones. It's letting go deeper inside your organs. And the more you peel away the tension in your body and go deeper inside, the more you might be able to understand what you're doing and you have a better understanding of letting go. And so a lot of images we give people just how to work with your body in a way that you get out of your patterns. And then before you start to really to traction. You have to learn to let go. If you don't let go, you can pull and pull on a muscle and it never will change. Yeah. I found there were times that I was in traction in a class and the intention was to do some traction. I could tell my back had not opened up yet in certain spots. And I just knew I was never going to get anything out of traction. It was literally like, my body's just not going to let you do that. I can try to tell myself that it needs to let go, but it has to happen on its own. It has to happen over time. And really the only way to get in there in a way where you have control over everything is doing something like yoga, which is just slowly knitting your way into these deeper spots of your back. And one little tiny area can be jamming up the whole thing. And that whole thing could be sciatica down your leg to a frozen drop shoulder. It all could come from one little intersection in the middle of your back that happens to be the major crossroads for where all these lines of movements come together. Right. And important is also that you don't give up just after first class, that you kind of continue and trust, hopefully, your teacher or the style that you're doing that in a few weeks or so, there will definitely be improvement. And sometimes improvement doesn't come linear it jumps. You suddenly one day you might feel, wow, I completely changed something in me. And then it might plateau for a while and then it keeps moving. And that's the wonderful thing of doing yoga. And over time, you can really see how your body has changed. 
I'd say is sometimes the progress is a little overwhelming because what I noticed in my back, and I had real bad injuries in 2013, it took me a long time to work my way out of it. What I'm finding is that when your body does open up and you start to get length and your femur is no longer jammed in your hip socket, so you're getting length there, your spine's starting to lift, your lower back is kind of lifting out of the pelvis and the mid back out of the lower back and your upper back, all that stuff. When it opens up, you're actually really weak in some of these spots because they're now longer, but they don't know how to be strong as a longer muscle. So there is a little bit of instability. And like I was just swinging a golf club the other day and after a round of golf, my mid back was really tired. I actually was more tired than I was when I played golf a year ago or two years ago because I was swinging a different way because my back was already compensating. So I had stability in how I moved. But now that my spine's kind of taller, it's not used to swinging a golf club 90 times that. So that's where I'm at in my practice is how do you get greater rotational strength and control in your mid-back? And so I think about things like, well, if I was in Allison's studio, I'd probably be using the rope wall and using it to support a twist. And maybe I'm sitting on a block to support my weaker lower back and to be able to give my hips a little elevation. And then I would really breathe into it and I would try to learn to contract all those small counter-rotational muscles that stabilize your spine. But I didn't know this stuff a year or two ago or even five years ago, right? Right. But the only reason I know it is because I start to feel it. And when you start to feel it and get that awareness, so the discomfort or pain or weakness is the opportunity to move into. If you have a weak spot in your back, you can really learn to get in there and stabilize that weak spot and you can make it a lot stronger. And then as you continue to age and have more injuries, you just know how to get to those weaker spots and build them up. And I think that's what I've gotten the most out of my yoga practice. Right. You're absolutely right. You learn a lot about your body and you learn how to take care of your body and not maybe just get anxious each time something happens. And I completely agree. And one thing I also want to mention is we talk here about muscles and bones all the time, but yoga has a lot of other components, the emotional, the mental component. So sometimes people who have pain or they can't let go, it can be completely something that the mind does or your emotions and how to approach that as a teacher. And that's always challenging. I can see the person just can't let go Absolutely. at a deep level. How do you work with that? You can just say to the person, hey, just don't worry. That's a challenge. And I'm not a psychologist, but I try to be very mindful and compassionate about people and see if to meet them where they are. Just having been through similar experiences myself where I didn't trust myself or my body to do certain things and certain poses, and I was probably right to kind of listen to myself, there's a deeper holding that's locking you down because you're super vigilant about not injuring your back or doing something. And that, mm -hmm. that's where I think yoga and especially the props gives you that confidence to say, I can lean into this really like ugly looking but safe triangle pose because I got a hand on a block. I got another hand that's holding on a rope and I can just breathe into that weak spot and mm -hmm. spend some time there and just breathing in and out of it in an easy way 
is helping that nervous system to say, we're going to go in here and work in this vulnerability. And you're right. Like my back's tired. And if I'm on the back nine of a golf course, I'm definitely backing off because I'm like, I'm tired. I'm not in control. The round's probably already butchered by then. So it doesn't matter what I score in these last four holes, right? <laughs> but that all comes from this yoga practice. And that's why I think a lot of guys who are listening who do struggle with stamina on golf or they just don't have a lot of control, I think you could really improve your golf game, your tennis game, even your running. I think you start to tap into how do you breathe better? How do you move better? I mean, you know all about movement. I'm sure your dance background, in addition to yoga, has really helped you think about how you continue to have the best possible health as you get older and to be able to enjoy as much as you can at the same time, do it in a safe way. Well, I do hope so. You know, you never know. There's things that you can't always take care of, but definitely have probably more tools how to deal with my body than maybe some other people. And, you know, talking about athletes, I do think yoga is a wonderful cross training. I've worked with clients who do play golf, very passionate, and I was helping them to improve their swing just from doing twists and being more aware of the alignment. So, and focus, you know, breathing, getting quiet, all that plays together and can improve your activity, whatever you do. And I do think more and more sports teams or athletes go to yoga because they see the value of it in many ways, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally, just to get a little bit to know yourself with a deeper insight. 100%. 100%. So we're getting to the end here. What's your advice to men who are listening to this podcast who haven't quite utilized yoga yet in any way that's really a consistent effort? Well, I do think if you look at it, how can I improve my other activities? If you're an athlete or if you sit a lot at the desk, how can I improve it? So the yoga will definitely, especially that style of yoga will definitely help you to have more awareness and kind of learn how to sit better, more healthier. And maybe you just have to find a class that's maybe a little bit smaller you get a lot of attention. Attention gives you props. Like either they don't want to slow down the class or they don't want to look stupid or they just can't keep up. I mean, this is also picking the right yoga class too. One of the problems with a lot of these vinyasa flow classes that are sort of a cardio workout is that it's hard to keep pace with them. If you're someone who doesn't have a pretty established practice, or maybe you've got a twisted ankle that you're nursing. It's hard to stay in that flow, but definitely a smaller class. I say this on other interviews, like guys should just know, like get near a wall if you're new to yoga, because you can always put your hand on a wall if you don't have balance. And if you don't have balance, that means you're not, you're not probably not in a safe place. I mean, I have nothing against vinyasa classes, but sometimes you need a base for that. I see people go in such difficult poses and not aligned and they injure themselves and they say, oh, yoga is not for me. I just injured myself. But if you go in a safe class with a good teacher, you're less likely going to get injured because the teacher will definitely make sure you're doing it right. And also it never hurts to go up to the teacher and be like, hey, I'm, I'm new. My name is Dave or whatever. Right. And just say like, I'm new. I kind of got a bit of a back issue. And I think sometimes yoga instructors 
they'll probably appreciate getting a heads up. They might tell that student to just like, hey, take it easy or back off if you need to. I always appreciate when a teacher says, who's the first time in this class or this studio? It, it lets those right. people who maybe are not inclined to go to the teacher and say, hey, I'm new. And a lot of times the person who's checking you into class is the teacher themselves at the front desk. Right. And that's a great moment to sort of say I'm new. No, I always like to be in class before the class starts and meet the people, the new, or even just to check in and eat the check-in time. How you feel today? Oh, maybe something happened. You hurt yourself or if somebody's new, is there something I need to know? Do you have an injury? Do you have certain tightnesses that I need to know? Then as I look at the person during class, I get a better picture and that can make adjustments. But you're right. You should talk to the teacher just to make contact. I think you can have a better class that way. Absolutely. Well, Andy, it's great having you. It's been a long time. I appreciate you sharing some of your right. thoughts and your path on this podcast. And I really look forward to hopefully coming to one of your classes when things start to open up a bit more in the city. Yeah, you're always welcome. I would love to have you in class. And thank you for the opportunity. It was fun. Yeah, this was great. All right, Andy, thanks very much. And I'm sure we'll cross paths soon. Okay, take care. Take care. 